Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 20.5 of DFT's Dungeon. I don't usually do a .5 episode, but maybe for season finales, maybe that's what I'm going to do. This is the second part of my Rediscovering Liberate Teex and Ferris by Zeo episode. And I just wanted to give you guys the full interview with Scott, as I know I used maybe like only five or six minutes of this conversation in episode 20. So uh, if you haven't listened to episode 20 yet, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to that episode first. But if you, if you don't do that, I'm, I'm not going to know. So, you know, I'm, I'm not here to tell you what to do. But uh, I really enjoyed making that episode, so I hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy this, the full conversation I had with Scott Mellinger. We talk about Liberate. We talk about kind of the recording of the album, why the album sounds the way that it does. We talk about the cover artwork. We talk about the reissue cover artwork. We talk about a lot of stuff. And I hope you guys really enjoy this. So let's get into it. I guess let's just start at the beginning. Okay. I'm sure you've talked about this in other podcasts, but in the spirit of it being like people would only have a one-stop shop to find out everything about this record, when did you end up joining Zayo? Like, like, was it 98? Yeah, it was 98. Um, so I played in a band called Creation's Crucifixion for like a couple of years out through high school and then out of high school, um, which uh, was kind of like a, I mean, we played shows with Zao. I knew Russ since like ninth grade. So like I knew, I followed him, what he did, he followed me. We were both fans of each other's thing. Um, and then I decided to leave creation and not really like any reason, like, no, I didn't have anything going on. I just, we just, I just left. And me, Dan, Russ, and our friend Tim started like a wannabe Sunny Day real estate band. It was called Eight Stars for Elijah. There was like, and actually one of our names, there was a bunch of different names, but there was one name. It was Ashes for Autumn. And this is before from Autumn to Ashes, I even knew they existed. So it was just like this, whatever, serendipity, because now Jeff played, you know, all that, all that uh, weirdness and we're all good friends. But um, so we did that band for a little bit. And this was like right when uh, Brett was just, doing the Juliana theory. So he was getting a little bit more, you know, focused on wanting to play that style of music, I think. And I do think that there was other things that he liked better about fronting a band and being kind of the guy. Cause like, you know, as it's very well documented, Zayo always had a bunch of leaders <laughs> in positions right. of, you know, so like Jesse, Brett, Dan, me, um, Russ, to a degree like i think everybody in the band has like their own opinions about how things should be done and all that stuff and we still kind of do that now like jeff and all of us but um sometimes those leadership roles can can turn into a different type of monster so i think that might be some of what happened there but so yeah. when when brett was talking about leaving um i knew jesse pretty well too from touring and playing shows with Zayo back before Dan and Russ were even in that band. So 
but me, Russ, and Dan were really close, um, and they were fans of what I did with the other stuff. So they kind of, you know, invited me into the into the band when when Brett was talking about leaving. Um, I was excited because these are all my bros, and I want to. I mean, because that's really bottom line to do this kind of thing. It, you're not friends with each other like it's really not gonna work <laughs> yeah uh so like we i was you know we were friends first we were, we were still friends like being friends is the most important i mean dude that's why we do it now like i just want to hang out with my friends because it's not like we're making a lot of money so, <laughs> so right you're not like, like well how many how many stadiums yeah. am i gonna sell out yeah. uh this week yeah yeah that doesn't matter you know like getting your art out and being with your friends is super important so but yeah that's basically it like brett was leaving and i was asked to join and got some practices in with them. And we felt that every, well, they felt that I think I was a good fit and all of us kind of felt comfortable playing together. And, and then such is history. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, I've always kind of wondered that background information just because it's interesting how the sound, because from my perspective, from a, from a fan's perspective, all we ever hear is the, is the end product. You, yeah. you know what I mean? We, we hear, yep. you know, the record and we make our own decisions, you know, based on it and all of that. But the thing that I noticed in the transition between, you know, obviously Blood and Fire and Liberate, which I'm just going to call it Liberate throughout this conversation, because when I say Liberate, I feel stupid. Same. Uh, so, uh, but with Liberate, obviously we had kind of a, a meaner, I want to say angrier sound, but definitely a, like a sludgier um, and I think I said this in another video, which a bunch of people took offense to, but I think like almost even a little bit more intentionally lo-fi sounding mm -hmm. um, because it was a record that sort of grabbed a vibe and, and hung on to it, <laughs> you know, all the way throughout. So the question that's in there is, was the record always intended to be that way? Were those songs all written that way in order to carry that vibe throughout the record? In my solo portion of this i compare it to like um i compare it to my like anxiety and depression and how it's mm -hmm. always this thing that's creeping after you that will eventually catch up to you or like even in a night of the living dead sort of situation where like yeah the zombies are all slow but they will eventually catch you you okay. know that type of like yeah. creeping yeah. fear um and i guess yeah my question is just is that was that always intentional or was it just one of those like happy accident sort of things i think sort of a little bit of mixture of both because i don't i don't know how especially when you when you like write and record so like you you write with one sort of idea in your head and as anybody would tell you like when you go in to record records like things change so drastically all the time especially with those early records it was just like there were certain things we couldn't do or like you couldn't get the sound that you wanted so it was almost the mistakes that happened that end up being how you like kind of build past all of that stuff. So like, you know, when we were working with Barry, Barry was wonderful. And I mean, he had extensive knowledge of recording, but at the same time, like back then, man, I feel like a lot of people had a lot of trouble recording, like really, really over distorted guitars and making them clear. Um, you know, like when you were doing like the certain mics that, that were in use back then, like the different technology. I mean, we were doing the DAT tape, so it wasn't even like totally, 
it wasn't digital. It was like this weird new small version of tape that you could sort it. It was kind of analog. So you got that warmth, but I just think that there are a lot of things that kind of make a record sound like they do. And a lot of that stuff you can't be ready for. And you just kind of let the things happen and, and breathe and live the way they were. I do think that we intentionally wrote songs to feel claustrophobic and like in, in intense and right in your face. Um, I do think that some of the songs that we were really happy with were written a little later. And some of the songs that we were a little more disappointed with probably were kind of that beginning phase of writing because of how, you know, blood and fire, like I, to me, a lot of that big difference is, and, and it's weird too, because Russ, I think Russ writes a lot like me and Russ has like a lot of the same ideas about dissonant chords and stuff that I do. So I don't, I do think you can hear some of that stuff on, on blood and fire. I don't think it got to the potential that it could have got to, or that we were trying to go for. I think that, you know, blood and fire overall sounds more like a pretty clean, not, not major key record, but like it's, you know, a lot of it's like straight, like octave, I think they were drop C two then, but like octave main power chords, there weren't really like those ugly chords that we started using when I joined the band. And that doesn't mean that I'm the guy that brought it all in. Like, like I said, like Russ was doing ugly chords and bands prior to Zayo. So like all of us kind of had that interest, but um, I think that's really what it was more of the dissonance that kind of made Liberate turn into what it was um, because you would, you were able with that type of, tonality to like it's just automatically kind of creepy sounding sort of mm -hmm. so yeah. like and i feel like where we really nailed it and i, I mean to me the whole record's kind of a mismatch on some songs but i feel like the intro in the savannah was like that's what we wanted the whole record to sound like yeah but but time constraints you have songs that you have to use like i feel like dark cold sound sounds like a pop be weird song and it doesn't fit in, in the whole, in, in what we really wanted it to sound like. Desire the End was a lot uglier before we recorded it for some reason. <laughs> I don't know how it turned. Yeah, I don't know how it turned into like, and it could just be because of the decisions of like guitar tone. Because like I was saying, you know, it's really hard to get that super ugly, loud, distorted, gross guitar tone clear. Right. And and sometimes you make decisions like, oh, well, we want it to be clearer, but you really don't, you know? So you're like, you're kind of young and you're, you're making quick decisions on how you're going to do things in the moment. Because you don't like back then. I mean, when we did Liberate, we had like a week, maybe, a, maybe a week to like do everything, like record right. everything, mix everything. Um, that seems like a long time, but like, it's not like, you know, you get like four or five hours and then take a break and then maybe three more hours. So you're doing like seven hours a day, maybe, maybe eight hours a day. Right. So it's not a ton of time, but, um, but yeah, I feel like, I feel like it was as, as intentional as it could be. We really tried, we were learning and didn't know exactly how we wanted to do things and how to do them like we do now. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's I think that's interesting because there is a certain sense of sort of fly by the seat of your pants that I do kind of pick up on, not in a bad way. Obviously, sometimes. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, sometimes. 
Well, okay, so I'll be honest, and I don't think I've ever even said this on a podcast before. Like, people know me as the guy that talks about Zayo, right? Like, so yeah. it is one of those. It is one of those weird things. I, it's funny because everybody always asks me, like, "What's your favorite Zayo record?" And I, you know, and everybody, everybody's like, I'm "Gonna say Liberate." He's gonna say Liberate. He's gonna say it. Uh, but it, the reality is, is that it's not just from from a songwriting perspective, or not a song. No, not even songwriting. Sequencing. Mm -hmm. perspective whenever i listen to liberate i love the vibe i love the way that it makes me feel mm -hmm. even if sometimes it makes me feel bad like i said all the th there's at least going to be another solid 40 minutes of me being like and it was like my depression man it was just creeping after me this whole time mm -hmm. but yeah there is kind of like i don't want to use the word filler but like you definitely get to that oh yeah what is, oh, you yeah. got intro savannah which is perfect mm -hmm. my, my favorite um, part of that whole thing for sure yeah and then you get um you you go right into um yeah he loves this record he's still looking up the track listing to make sure he doesn't um, i don't remember no, what's next actually yeah well mine's stupid because whenever i rip the cd it gives me the circle one circle two circle three oh, circle yeah. like all that stuff uh carry over from the old from the old track listing but um no, you go right into autopsy and then mm -hmm. scars and then goat psalm and as far as far as i'm concerned the record is basically 100 percent perfect all the way up to that point uh and then you get to desire the end which is a song that i like uh i like all the songs but you go you do desire the end in dark cold sound before you can get to skin like winter and skin like winter is the song that everybody wants to mosh to mm -hmm. you know what i mean so it's like uh, and then you get to the end of the record and the end of the record sounds a lot like the first part of it mm -hmm. you know and i always love that because like my poor wife last night we we sat she sat there at this computer editing photos and i had my i've got my speakers on either side of my computer screen for my stereo mm -hmm. but i've got the cd part so i'm listening to liberate and uh i think i listened to um to the final song man in cage jack wilson like three or four times and she was just like you know this song feels like somebody's just creeping up behind me Mm -hmm. you know and, and is about to bash me in the in the back of the head which i appreciate her allowing me to her willing to put up with that level of ridiculosity sometimes but um but no the record definitely has these moments where it comes close to being perfect but then there's always kind of something that will come out of left field i think i think my only real issues with desire the end is if desire the end had come had been put right before manning cage jack wilson I think it would have made a lot of sense. That's just my dumb opinion. Like we, I was saying earlier, you know, one man in cage is half of what we wanted to do. So like, I love what man in cages, but it never got to be at its full potential. Cause it never was, you know, it, it, it sort of just kind of goes and goes and goes and it never really ends up anywhere. And we never really were able to make that a full song, which is why it ended up being what it was um desire the end that like breakdowny part did not sound like that when we wrote it and when mm -hmm. i hear it now i hear like and not that this is a bad thing i mean but it, i hear like some sort of new metal breakdown like i don't hear like the ugly part of that and like I, I russ i know russ would agree with me like you get to that breakdown part and it didn't that wasn't how we wanted it to sound and it to me the rest of the song kind of feels gross and then that part comes out of nowhere and and some people like it but i i'm disappointed at the way that came out so um 
an autopsy like autopsy was a song dan brought to us dan had all that guitar stuff written and we didn't we if you i mean listen to the end of the song it just falls apart it doesn't end (laughs) right (laughs) like it just kind of so like that's that's obviously like you know we let it happen because at this at the time you're like ah it's cool man but like really it's a hardcore song yeah yeah like i would have liked to like really you know done things to that song to make it cool because it was it's there's all these like potential for all this stuff and it never gets to the full potential because you don't have the time you didn't have the time to write all of it you got down there and something maybe wasn't finished some of the songs were um but yeah yeah i i feel like um i feel like that record if we if i go back and redo it today there's a lot of things a lot of things i would have changed the only thing i don't change is intro and savannah that's it those two things okay. i leave i leave exactly the same almost everything else on that record gets changed so if you're if you're george lucas you go back and <laughs> you oh, know yeah. and, and and make it make it uh sonically perfect and yeah it's it's interesting though because i i really like the idea of happy accident um because obviously the way that guys like me heard it we were like oh my god like this is this is it because like my my introduction to the band was i was really young and so like my i had a high school girlfriend that broke up with me and my parents went out of town for a weekend and i just Mm -hmm. sat at home and was sad you know the Mm -hmm, whole time mm -hmm. and that was the first time somebody sent me this like it probably took like a half hour to download it somebody sent me a copy of ravage ritual to listen to okay and uh he's like oh check this out or whatever and of course i heard it and and was like something just sort of like lit up in my brain and i was like okay yeah all of their music sucks like this is what i you know he like this is what i like now and um so to go from that i think i think that was sort of the the impact of blood and fire was just this idea of like this band had never sounded like this before Mm -hmm. you know and so and that that really does carry that whole record you know and so when you get here you know there's a little bit of um you said something on the dvd a while back about trying to remember exactly how you but you were like you know people were sort of acting like blood and fire was just this kind of like one-off you know what i mean or like Mm -hmm. like that you weren't you know that like okay well now that now that you know brett's out of the band or this person's out of the band then like now whatever they put out next is not going to be great but i think what's interesting is that this record was able at least in my opinion to sort of one-up that expectation and so the direction of how gross it can sound at times and of course when i say gross i mean like i i love it um, yeah th- and that's that's a i take that as a compliment because that's kind of yeah. weird yeah <laughs> yeah so it's like the fact that it sounds that gross and that unhinged you know was really really cool because like i could go from blood and fire because like you said yeah blood and fire sounds a little cleaner yeah um as clean as records like these sound and um you know, you come you come in to liberate, and it's just this dark, dingy, for lack of a better term, dungeon type music. You know, that is very. Um, it's designed in a way to sort of make you feel more contemplative. You know, of of where you're at and how you're feeling about stuff. And so, I think from just my opinion, this is probably the most honest sounding of the early Zayo records. Is a being a genuine like communication of a very specific feeling, mm-hmm. you know, or emotion. 
and I think that's really what draws me to it because I can sit there and be a music critic and just be like, well, you know, this song should go here and this song should go there, and you know, they they should have really turned this up or <laughs> you know yeah. or extended this out or you know, uh, this song doesn't go anywhere. But I think I think the way that it is put together was really cool and i can i i can identify with that sort of because i I recorded a record it's not nearly as good as this uh but we had about you know about a week (laughs) you know uh to record it and so what we ended up with i remember driving home and being like this isn't the record that i wrote you know i'm listening to it in my head and i'm just like Mm -hmm. and i'm like this is not the record that i wrote this this final product um so with saying all that is to get here where were you guys surprised or even you personally surprised at how well it took off? Because I remember, I, I remember all of the sort of like buzz around this record and all this, like it almost created this weird mystery about the band. Like, I don't know. It was just, um, how did that, how did that feel as far as, as far as the reception goes? So if I could be completely honest with you, I have, a lot of struggle um, understanding how that stuff happens. So, for example, I don't, you know, I'm as the band now, like as Zayo is now, as we mm-hmm. exist in this exact moment, I am so happy that people even care at all anymore. And the handful of people to do, because I mean, it's obviously we're not where we were back then. But I can promise you, as a musician, as a songwriter, as an under, as a as a recording, whatever you would call that, as a recording musician, that everything that we've done since we started back up since 2016 has, in my opinion, made all that other Zayo stuff laughable. I feel like everything we've done as writers, as as sonically, as the records sound, everything's miles above in my opinion than anything that zeo's ever done in its past only because i was there and i know because i know a half of the stuff we did was was a half-assed attempt at trying to do things and we weren't good and writing those songs i didn't feel like we were like writing to our potential half of liberati i feel like totally missed potential songs whatever i feel like well-intentioned virus all the seven inches and everything in crimson corridor dwarf all that stuff when you really look at it from a songwriting standpoint, from sonically, all that, does that matter? No. So Liberate, Blood and Fire, you know, self-titled Pray to Chaos, all those records, those records. And I mean, obviously now we live in a world where records don't sell like they used to. That's, that's kind of doesn't exist anymore. Right. But when you look at the amount of record sales Liberate had, self-titled had, Blood and Fire had, and then you look at what you do today, objectively to me, those records aren't as even as close as good, but I think what ends up happening, and this is a lot of the reason I don't understand when people have like egos about what their band is, but like the only reason Zayo, in my opinion, was able to do what it did was because we, and the only difference to me today is we had gatekeeping back backers to your band. Mm-hmm. So you're on, solid state. I don't think labels exist like that anymore because back then it was a lot easier to kind of like maintain. You didn't have the internet. Right. So a whole plethora of kids 
focused on solid state as a label solid state puts out records they have a huge reach so whatever we did didn't really matter i feel like the way that that record label pushed the way that certain people in the scene kind of grabbed on to what we were doing, whatever. I think a lot of that made those records do as well as they did. I don't think it really had that much to do with like what we did, what we wrote, what we, cause like I said, I, I think there's songs on Crimson Corridor that make Savannah sound stupid, but that's just me. <laughs> and you know what I mean? So like, so to me, I would never have ever imagined people would have got onto that record as they did. And we are, unbelievably thankful that they did but it genuinely has nothing to do with what we're doing i i feel like you know there there are bands that are huge that i think are terrible and there are bands that are huge or that have no nobody care about them and they're my favorite you know like maybe i'm just totally insane and i like weird stuff but i just feel like i really feel like when a band breaks or when people like what they're what that band's doing it has so little to do with like what you do as to well and to be fair just getting out there i feel like you know maybe that's what's lacking in the band today is we don't tour seven months out of the year like we were back then so like when you're in front of people and you're kind of your name's getting tossed around all the time and people are going to shows and like you know you just came there and they their friends were like, oh, this band was crazy. And well, like, I think, you know, that could have had a lot to do with that too. But it's just so weird to me. When I go back and I listen to those records, I feel like there's just such missed potential. And it's just me being totally overbearingly critical. But, but it fascinates me how at that time, Zayo was at its peak, its biggest, um, like, we could, like, you play a show and there'd be 500 to 800 people there all the time and it, it's just so crazy to me to think that, that i was ever involved in something that did could do that so in a roundabout way i think what i'm saying is it has nothing to do i don't think it had anything to do with what we were doing i just think that we just got lucky and now we're you know all bands like man it's just it you're always struggling and you're always trying and and sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you just work and work and work and nobody listens. And sometimes the thing that you do that you're not even that proud of becomes the thing that everybody likes. Like, there's so many weird things about being in a band. <laughs> Yeah, no, I feel you. I mean, because it, it, it is, it's it's a little bit similar to where I'm at right now with starting a new podcast and people still sort of like, they still get messages all the time from people. It's like, oh, you know, it, it'd be a lot cooler if you went back and you maybe did discography discussions sometimes. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe it would be cool if you went, you know, you know and, and in my opinion, like, I'm like, no, I, I think that the thing that I'm doing now, at least I think, I, I think it's cooler, you know, mm -hmm. or it's. It's a little bit more intimate. It's a little bit more interesting. But like, like you said, I'm very appreciative to everybody that liked it, you know, or was or was into it. But it is kind of one of those things. It's like, yeah, but if you if you compare the the apples to oranges of what I'm doing now versus what I was doing then, um, so yeah, that feeling is that feeling is actually kind of unique, you mm -hmm. know. 
in that I feel like a lot of people don't think about it that way. It's just like, yeah, I'm just going to throw a whole bunch of stuff at the wall and whatever sticks is what I'm going to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, well, as, and it, it's weird to, it, I was going to say it's, it's as a, as artists, it's weird to do that because I can't separate, like, I can't just be like, cause I, I mean, some musicians that are superficial will, will kind of be like, okay, we're going to do this, 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 just try a bunch of different stuff. And then whatever, the one thing that, that might catch people like that's the thing we're gonna you know focus on or whatever and for me it's just like i know i this is what i feel like i have to do and if people want to come along for the ride they'll i won't ever be able to thank them enough but if they don't then go who gives a shit <laughs> it's not my yeah deal. like you know what i mean like I'm, I'm not gonna i can't do that i can't do anything to make people happy like i want people to to be a and to me, like, that's how I kind of view music. Like, I'm a fan. So, like, there's going to be things that I don't like totally. But I'm also a fan of the people that do the things that they're doing. So, like, I have records that I don't listen to because I don't really love the record. But I love the the, the artist. Yeah. And I always give them benefit. Like, I'm going to try it. Okay. It's not something I'm going to listen to all the time. But I appreciate where you were going with it. So, maybe you'll get me next time. But I'm going to still buy this record because guess what? I want you to, I want you to do the next thing. You know, I want right. you to keep going. Like, I don't want you to like be less. I want, I want things to happen because like that growth is like what makes your songs too. like learning and the growing and like things are always changing, but it is funny that a band like us, you know, a lot of those same ideas that existed back then, especially with Dan's lyrics, but lyrically it, and, and the whole feeling of that, of, of our band, I mean, like depression, uh, anxiety, you know, all these different things, loss, like those things are always present. And if not more now than back then, because like, even as the older you get, man, it's like, you know, it's a struggle to do, do every day. It's a struggle to do every day. So we need things like this to help us get through those time periods. So I do this because I have a struggle every day. There's always something that's going to pull me down into whatever depth <laughs> exists. Yeah. And and playing, writing, getting that out of you like that's that's the whole thing. So like art, if anything, that's what Zeo is to me. Like it's. It's the thing we do to pull ourselves out of those depths. Yeah, and you pull other people out of it too. You know that that's the un, that's the maybe unintended side effect is, mm -hmm. you know, lyrically, uh, which is what I focus on a lot in my solo episode on this is that this was like reading reading the lyrics on this record as vague as they could be sometimes mm -hmm. mixed with the um it's funny because dan i feel like dan's like almost more direct now you know oh yeah uh than, than before <laughs> you know back then it was like one of those i think there was a certain sense of just sort of trying to get things past like the christian labels you know and, and i stuff. think there could have been yeah yeah for sure there's yeah, some of that like, i'll just be vague and if they ask me this i'll tell them this if I, you know um but i think that the the side effect because like and, and i know that the song dark cold sound is not your favorite uh sure but for me lyrically it's basically what this whole episode is about mm -hmm. is about that that creeping sort of feeling that 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 impending dread 
you know um you guys did it better with into the jaws of dread you know uh and didn't even say a word you know but i think it's interesting how that record was there's this song on the fear too that's exactly kind of singing talking the same um what is it paranoia what the hell is it called there's no such thing as paranoia. yes thank you yeah, yeah. that's it yeah that's, that's a good one too of, yep, yeah yep, yep. oh my god that that this is not a dream you know yeah. like that part yeah that oh that gets me um yeah in like four years i'll get around to the fear and we'll do this again yeah <laughs> like i think that what the interesting side effect this had on me though was that like i'm hearing it and like at that time i listened to predominantly christian music mm-hmm mostly because of the social status of it i i did another episode recently talking about how like i was part of these groups and i was really really into being part of a group and i was really into having a lot of friends and and all of that stuff so it's like i could listen to a record like this and everybody be like oh yeah zeo they're like that band that's on solid state so it's all good you know perfectly acceptable like i could get it under the radar like perfectly acceptable for me to be listening to but then you listen to the record and it it deals with these these sort of that those feelings of loss and depression and Mm -hmm. anger and and frustration and this was one of the first records that i ever heard from solid state that like where i felt heard Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like like hearing like comparing depression or anxiety to a creeping fear like anxiety especially oh yeah is 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 such a creeping fear because like you think you've put distance between yourself and it but it's always going to pop up at the most inconvenient time (laughs) possible oh yeah yeah. and so struggling like that and then sort of having this record of being like okay 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 well i you know i don't know the guys in this band um you know but they definitely we 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 feel the same feelings yep yeah it's it's to me there's a language that people that deal with this kind of thing just they they gravitate towards and they understand you know dan uses key terms and all of us have that understanding like all of us deal with it all of us you know i deal with it all all the time dan deals with i, I know everybody in the band has has these issues um just that feeling of not being good enough um, I mean, I go to shows now and I walk in and I'm already immediately in a panic because I just, why, you know, who, what, what band member is going to come up and be a dick to me? Like, is yeah. there, you know, is there like, am I going to, you know, look like an idiot when I'm on stage? Like all these different things. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I don't belong here. I'm, I should be home. <laughs> like I don't, Yeah. You know, I feel like that kind of thing all the time. Anywhere I go, I already like. I'm looking for the exit. I'm looking for, you know, like, and then like you overcompensate all that stuff because then you're like, wait, I try to talk to everybody and be super talkative because then that kind of can hide all of the anxieties and panic I feel and people, you know, like all yeah. these, oh, you're, you're pretty extroverted. Yeah, I'm extroverted because like, if you actually knew what my brain was saying when I'm talking to you, that you wouldn't even, you know, so, oh, I think that our band, kind of thrives in the language of, of anxiety and panic and fear and, and sadness and loss. And, you know, so it is pretty amazing to know that it like, you know, all these things that, that are all in, in us that we, you know, that there are other people that have all that same feeling. That's it. You know, you that group think like that Mm -hmm. being part of something, well, it's it is nice to know that there are people that have those same feelings, and it's really, really unbelievable to understand to, to know that that sometimes our songs can help those people because that's what they do for us. So, 
it's neat uh, because it is kind of, you know, music is in a lot of ways, uh, you know, a one way communication. Mm-hmm. But when you run into when you run into stuff like that, where you know you make this sort of connection in your brain, where you're like, "This sounds the way that I feel," mm-hmm. you know, which in turn means that I'm not the only one that feels like this, yep. you know, and 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 these guys nailed it like exactly with all of the with all the nuance, you know, and even though you may not even know that when you're doing it, you know, you're you're sitting yeah. there, you're recording, you're recording your you know guitar tracks. And, you know, you're probably just sitting there thinking, like, am I going to have to do this again? Was this good enough? Was this not good enough? Was this, <laughs> You know, you're thinking about all of those different things. But um, overall, I think that with the this way that the record sounds with the dinginess and obviously the clips, which I'm going to get into later, it's your guys' fault that I'm so obsessed with with adding movie clips and media clips and things. <laughs> i literally just did a mighty Morphin power rangers episode that was the one oh, I posted man. before this one uh because Dude, of obviously was... what happened yeah that's that's um, that's a bummer that guy was struggling for a long time from yeah so that's depressing that was a huge bummer um mm-hmm. but no that's why i but i was like i'm gonna get clips from the show i threw a clip from from king of the hill uh in one of <laughs> one of my episodes but another great show yeah to transition into that though um why Event Horizon? When we saw that movie, I think what that movie really was, was a disgusting display of hopelessness. And it just grabbed all of our attention because it literally was hopeless. Everything about that was hopeless. I still think that's one of the best sci-fi horror movies. Um, I know that there are... Th- there's version i think there's a version of that movie that's like they, they cut out a bunch of stuff so like yeah. i don't know if it'll ever see the light of day with all the extra footage or whatever but but yeah i just felt like and the the funny thing is too is like you know when you watch that movie you know back obviously back then it's like that the whole like idea of like hell being in this like outer dimension of space or whatever but like to me it wasn't even that as much as just like how people reacted to all of that hopelessness you know like they whatever it was that was there like that feeling of just utter like despair <laughs> and yeah. it like you know so we I, I think like that just clicked with us when we when we watched the movie and um and a lot of the things that it was talking about kind of was like some of the stuff Dan was talking about, even though like, you know, on this, on the superficial side of what that movie is, it's just a, you know, gory horror movie, whatever. But like, but I feel like it was just this, it's just such despair in it. And it, the end is just awful. And that kind of was what we felt like (laughs) I wanted the record to be like this awful, like, there is no hope. Like, it's just, man, but there is hope. Like there's hope in no hope. It's super weird. I don't know. But yeah, like that, I think that's really what it was. You, you watch that movie and you don't come away from that movie being like, Oh, well that, that could have, uh, I'm glad that ended the way it did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that that movie is, um, I actually just watched it on voodoo. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, sort of prepping up with the episode and I, um, it's funny to me watching that movie now because I like, I can't separate the record from it. You Same know what I mean? Happens to me. Yep. 
yeah so it's like i i watch it and i was like oh you know so it's like weird when a line is said you know uh, when you hear the hell is only a word reality is you know much much worse let me show mm-hmm. you and i was like okay ready and then savannah doesn't kick it and you're like wait yeah, <laughs> you know what is supposed to, yeah this is this is supposed to happen um i'm surprised it's funny because if that record had come out like five years after it did in the age of youtube you know people would have would have sequenced those up and put put the you know like like oh, put yeah. videos on on youtube and stuff that it's was back before the copyright police yeah like you could you can't even do that now so it's kind of a bummer because i think i feel like a lot of like you know a lot of musicians man you like like all of the the medium of art like you focus on like i love everything i like painting drawing all of it and then i like movies i love movies i'm infatuated with movies so like you know watching movies to me is like the same type of thing as as music and i mean i think when we write our records especially now like i'm always looking at it from like a thematic standpoint like how you you know you have a beginning a climax that that's why like i feel bad that there's so many artists that pull away from the the idea of a whole record because like the whole like to me that's like part of this whole thing like i don't want a song like i write like batches of things so like things kind of fit together and then like you get this whole overarching story sort of you know like you even if it's not like supposed to be that way but like the music moves in a way that like oh you begin here and then you climax and then you get to this point and then here's the finality of things you know so i i like doing things that way but it's yeah totally being a movie fanatic that that creates that yeah it's uh it's it's also like a part of your life you know each record at least for me it's like it it represents a specific period of of where you were at at the time Mm-hmm. you know when you wrote it you know so it's like that that's why it's like weird if like let's say i just took xenophobe and i threw it on corridor yeah right then it's like well yeah, no hold can. on yep. hold on there these two are incompatible with each other you know yep, yep. um they don't they, it doesn't work because you were somewhere else you were in a different you know different place different idea different mindset different attitude and um you know, with with these with this record specifically too. It, well, I feel like all the old records do that. Um, even like, obviously, Parade feels a lot different uh, than mm-hmm. anything. Like, regardless of how it was, you know, um, created or, or or come up with, you know, so to speak, it, it's it's a different vibe. Um, even Pyrrhic is different than Well Intentioned, mm-hmm. even though it's the same technically. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, it was. But it's weird because even then we like you know jeff and i like you could see certain things work with each other and like pure a lot of those songs were written in that same time but like knowing that hey this isn't going to really necessarily work on like with these batch of songs like this feels like a complete idea these ones are sort of separate ideas so you yeah it's weird how that stuff because i mean to anybody like if you listen to a song you know, normal people don't, they, they don't look at it that way. Like if I, if, if you throw, you know, a song from Pyrrhic on well-intentioned virus, it wouldn't have changed anything for some certain people. But then some, like for, for me, it's weird, man. I look at those songs and I'm like, ah, these fit with these. And I don't like this, this like vibe or this feeling doesn't feel right here. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it, it's a strange thing, but, but it's definitely like that. For sure. Um, so I guess I'm gonna 
I've been going for like 40 minutes. Now that I edit all my old stuff, now that I edit all my own stuff, I'm like real brief about everything. Uh, <laughs> well, no, hey, dude, got to do it. Oh, no, there's one last thing I wanted to get to. Sure. Sorry. Um, no, no, you're fine. So, and we, we've, you and I have actually talked about this before, was just sort of the, the, the layout. I was talking to some guys in my, the layout for the original CD, rather. Okay. Um, I was talking to some guys on our Discord server last night, and I was showing pictures. I was, I was like, yeah, this is my original copy of, of Liberate. And, uh, of course, the CD case, the jewel case is all cracked. And, you know, um, and I, I was like, well, here's the good stuff. See, I got, I got Scott and Dan and Russ to sign the, sign the booklet uh, way back. I think, I think you signed that booklet back in 2005, oh, sometime man. around that. Yeah, it was a long time ago. I do still um, have a sealed copy of that record, by the way. Oh yeah, a sealed CD. Yep, I was like, I'm not going to open this one. This is the first one I did, so I'm going to leave one sealed. Yeah, you can uh, open it up on your deathbed and smell the fresh minty flavor or the minty smell of new CD. Yep. Um, but it's interesting because everybody was like, "Oh, you know, so what was the deal?" Because like people that haven't heard the record are always like, "So what's the deal with the whole Dante's Inferno thing, and what's with Mm -hmm. the circles and the..." And so it's fun. I gave the most honest answer I could, which was like, "Look, I know that they didn't really have a lot to do with that." Yeah. Um, But when you're a fan and you're buying it, it, even even the original cover artwork, you know, I think whenever you guys did the reissue uh, with the new artwork, which don't get me wrong, I love the new artwork. Uh, I think it looks really cool. Uh, but there's also something to be said about, yeah, I know it's probably just a, a close up of Jesse's face of the as the original, but because it's the first one I ever saw, yep, <laughs> it's uh, it's always gonna like that's always gonna be the cover of the record to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, I was like, you know, that that sort of feeling of like oh circle one circle two circle three circle four and my question is versus me just making a whole bunch of statements to you is did you ever did you ever find out why they went with that theme or was it just somebody's interpretation of the record that you made i think really what it was was the interpretation of the lyrics because um and which is one part of that thing that i thought was actually well thought of like so i like obviously all the the cover art and it's weird because i'll say this like i hate the cover art but it's not because it's jesse's face like right i that's it, it i get it like that's i thought you know and back then too he was doing something cool and different that nobody was doing it in scenes yet and like i mean there were there were a few bands that were doing that kind of thing but like it wasn't like widely seen and i i mean i totally understand the whole point of it but it just doesn't doesn't fit what what I, I think everybody was hoping to achieve um, but the idea of the uh, the circles of hell stuff the Dante's Inferno stuff does sort of follow along in a in a small way to what Dan was doing because it is like the deeper you get into certain lyrical content the more like lost it gets the more hopeless it gets the I mean that's kind of like the event horizon thing um, you know the more that it you're deeper into like darkness right so i feel like the circle dante's inferno dante's inferno idea works really well which is why with what we did now like it was still kind of present like we did kind of keep that that circle one stuff on there um because it 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 wasn't so far from like an original intent um 
but yeah, like, and it's a bummer. And, and we totally understand. I mean, me and Jeff talked about it. We knew people were going to hate the idea of the new cover, not because the cover isn't incredible, but because the first thing you see is always the thing you focus on. So, yeah. which is sad because I feel like Dave's painting and his interpretation of like totally 1000% is that is Liberate. Like that fits it. That's how it should have been originally. Like what he did and like the ideas that were portrayed in those paintings and, and talking with Dan and, and all of us and like working together through that, that's exactly what that record should have looked like in, in 98, but it didn't. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you guys did a photo shoot and then that's the layout. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. I mean, and it sucks, you know, it sucks that it had to, had to fall to that. And it, it wasn't really like the, there again, like I always say, man, it's just this missed opportunity. These like these initial, like, impressions of what you think are going to happen and they get pulled out from under you you know like you did you have all these ideas and and you want to do all this stuff and sometimes nothing comes up and they use a picture of a dude's face right so ironically the cover of the album that i put out the cover is actually a close-up of my face uh <laughs> but you know to be fair like the whole eye to the soul thing is kind of cool too i don't believe mm -hmm. in souls but like but the eye like seeing people's eyes like in that their intention and stuff you can see to their eyes you know the, the whole eye ideas i really like like i really like that it was a close-up of jesse's eye because that's that sort of fits too it just I feel like there was a lot more that could have happened and we did it and it's never gonna be the same for some people and some people are gonna like you know that that first thing better than anything we we could ever do you could put like the best cover of any album of all time and right. sometimes it's not gonna matter because people's first intent intention or whatever they they fall back to but Yep, first impressions are everything, right? That's, that's what they right. tell us. Uh, that's what they tell us in business, right? So that's it. Absolutely. Um, well, Scott, thank you, man, for for having this conversation. I know I called you out of the blue. I had intended on making this episode one hundred percent solo, just you know, forty minutes, you know, of me talking about there. And I'm still going to do that because I'm mm -hmm. a selfish bastard like that. Uh, but it, it, but it was like I was sitting there at work, and I was just like. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I call Scott and ask him like some questions about their like get actual insight instead of it being one of those like, yeah. So here I'm just going to sit here and tell you what I think for an hour mm -hmm. <laughs> versus having a, you know a little bit more of an inside look. So I appreciate you taking time out of your day off to talk. And no, um, you know I'm happy to do it. And I think too, as much as talking to me and getting insight for me, like I think where you're going and what you're going to talk about with your personal situations of listening to this is, I mean, it's exactly fits why we did it and our, our whole insight, you know, like I feel like the things that you battle through and the things that you're battling and having those records, listen to them. Like, like we said earlier, I feel like, you know, we're all in that same world and we all speak the language of, of anxiety, depression. And um, so, it's cool to have that insight on this too.
Thank you guys so much for listening to episode 20.5 of DFT's Dungeon. I always love talking to Scott. The dude has all kinds of interesting stories, and he's just a deep guy. He's, he's got a lot of feelings about things, and uh, I always like hearing his insight about music and about the recording process. I'm pretty sure Scott could sit there and talk to me about the weather, and I would just be completely enraptured by what he had to say about barometric pressure and things of that nature. My name is Daniel Terry, and this is the final, final episode of season one of the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will be off for about six weeks, and I'll be back on January 22nd with the first episode of season two of the podcast. So I hope you guys tune into that. And uh, if you guys want to talk in the meantime, I'm on all of the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You guys can send me an email at dftdungeon at gmail.com. Or you can join our Discord server. I'll have a link in the show notes that will take you to Discord where we like to hang out and talk about music and share memes. And honestly, that's probably the fastest way to get a hold of me if you need to. So uh, I hope to see you guys on there sometime soon. But if not, I will see you again right here on January 22nd.